come to Isaiah chapter 2 this morning. Please take your copy of God's Word, turn to Isaiah 2. Maybe you brought your ESV journal this morning. Our sermon text today is chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So during the time that Isaiah ministered to God's people, Judah and Jerusalem, they were experiencing national conflict on a couple of different fronts. Most significantly, they were involved in a civil war with their brothers to the north in Israel. And then Judah was threatened by the superpower to their east in Assyria. Well, what this did was that it caused the kings, especially and the people, to experience a lot of fear and insecurity. And rather than trusting the Lord in the midst of their conflict, they turned away from the Lord. Um, Judah resorted to building machines of war under Uzziah. Under one of the subsequent kings, they schemed to make alliances with even enemy nations to protect them. The kings and the people turned to other gods in the midst of their conflict. And many of these things were listed last week as we went through chapter 1. When God confronted the unfaithfulness of his people, he talked about how they turned away from him rather than trusting in them. And in chapter 2 through 4, next week, chapters 2 through 4, God will expose more of the sins and the unfaithfulness of his people. But what's interesting is right here, at the beginning of chapter 2, right in between God confronting them about their unfaithfulness in chapter 1 and then continuing in chapter 2 through 4, right here at the beginning of chapter 2, in the middle of their conflict and in the midst of their unfaithfulness, the Lord gives his prophet Isaiah and his people Judah a vision of the future in order to encourage them to be faithful today. Can I say that again? Right here in the midst of their unfaithfulness, God gives his prophet and his people a vision of the future to encourage them to be faithful today. Isn't that gracious? Isn't that just like God? Through this vision, the Lord says to his unfaithful people, I'm not tired of you. I'm not through with you. I made a covenant with you. You're my people and I will accomplish my plan in you and through you. Trust me. Isn't that gracious? Isn't that encouraging? Well, just as Judah, on a national level, experienced conflict, we all experience conflict on a personal level, don't we? The struggles are real. Relational conflicts within our family, within our marriage, 
maybe at work or in your neighborhood. A spiritual war against sin and temptation every day, warring against the temptations of the flesh. This is conflict on a personal basis, isn't it? We experience this. Where do you turn in the midst of that conflict? Physical battles against disease and death cause fear, insecurity, anxiety. Internal struggles against anger and anxiety, depression and stress, and the list could go on and on and on of the personal conflict that we experience on a daily basis. And too often, just like Judah, rather than turning to the Lord and trusting the Lord in the midst of our conflict, we turn away from Him and seek solutions somewhere else. Put our trust in something else. Well, friends, as we study this text this morning, my prayer is that this vision of the future will encourage you to be faithful to the Lord today. Can I just make a personal note here before we read the text? I've read Isaiah many times throughout my Christian life. And Isaiah, as we have mentioned, is full of excellent portions of Scripture and and memorable texts. But this one today is one of those parts that I had forgotten about. And so far, as I have considered Isaiah, it's, uh, it's my new favorite. I love it. Incredibly encouraging. So let's read our text this morning, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is God's word to his people. Verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. All house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. God, please bless your word in this vision to our souls so that we might be faithful to you. Amen. 
You'll notice that Isaiah shares a vision in verse 1 through 4, and then there's an encouragement in verse 5. The the encouragement in verse 5 links directly to 1 through 4 as the outflow of that vision, but then next week it will be the link between the vision and the confrontation of sin next week. So let's think about, first of all, this vision in verse 2 through 4. It may interest you to know that this vision is repeated almost verbatim in Micah chapter 4. There's only one slight difference. Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries, uh, both of them ministering to Judah. It's, It's possible that God gave this vision to both of his prophets separately. And they both wrote it down, but that's not likely. It's more likely that one copied the other. Uh, or maybe even more likely that both of them were quoting something like a popular hymn in Judah of that day. We don't know. But notice in verse 2 that this vision is about, quote, the latter days. That's an unspecified time in the future. But this is a vision of the future. And notice about this vision of the future in verse 2 that the vision describes things that, quote, shall come to pass. So this is a vision of a guaranteed future that is ordained by the Lord. These things, it's not they might happen. They're not probable. This is a certain future brought about by the power of God. And this morning I want to point out the four prominent images in this vision. Uh, It might be helpful to use the note sheet that I gave you on the back of the bulletin, uh, which shows us these four prominent images. Uh, The mountain, the nations, the law, and the peace. Those are the four major images that we get in this vision. The the mountain of the Lord, the nations of the earth, the law of the Lord, and then the peace of the Lord. We're going to look at those together. Just imagine as Isaiah or Micah or the God's people sang this vision that God had given them about what will certainly come to pass in the future. First of all, in the latter days, God says, the mountain of the Lord will be exalted. The mountain of the Lord will be exalted. Read again verse 2. It will come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord, uh, pardon me, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. The imagery here is a mountain. This, in ancient cultures, gods lived in the mountains. And so this is the place where God lives. And this is the mountain of the house of the Lord. So it's not just the mountain of the Lord, but it's the mountain that is also the house of the Lord. So the house of the Lord is the temple or the center of worship of God. The mountain of the house 
of the Lord is Mount Zion. It's Jerusalem that was situated on a mountain. So literally this this vision is about the very people that God is addressing. God is saying, not only am I going to be exalted, but you, Jerusalem, are going to be exalted. Did you notice the the imagery there that, that the mountain, the house of the Lord is established as what? The highest of all the mountains. And it will be lifted up. There is coming a day, God says, when Jerusalem will be exalted above all of the other hills. So if the mountain of the house of the Lord is the temple of the God of Israel, then the hills represent all the gods of the nations. And God says there's coming a day when the religion of Judah, the God of Judah, will be shown to be the God and the true religion, and it will overshadow all of the other hills around it, the gods and the religions of the nations. Well, that that wasn't the reality at that time. That had to be a vision of the future because right now, here in the context of Isaiah 2, the mountain of the Lord in Jerusalem seemed more like a hill and all of the nations overshadowed Jerusalem. They were, they were coming down onto Judah and Jerusalem. It seemed like the power and the glory was in all the other nations, not Judah and her God. But there's coming a day, God says, that the God of Judah will be shown to be the true God. And the religion of Jerusalem will shown to be the true religion. That's the first image. The second image at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3 is the image of the nations. And what do we see there? Number two, in the latter days, the nations of the earth will come in, will come to the mountain of the house of the Lord. Read again. In verse 2, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Isn't that amazing? The image here is of the nations of the earth flowing to, did you notice this anti-gravitational thing going on there? The, the glory of God has a magnetic pull that the nations are flowing up. The message is that there's coming a day when The nations of the earth will come to the Lord and desire to learn his ways and to walk in his paths. That had to seem absurd to Judah, don't you think? Think about Egypt. You're telling me Egypt is going to come to the Lord? You're telling me Assyria and Babylon and Moab and the Philistines? 
are going to come to the Lord? Everybody was coming to Jerusalem, all right, to destroy it. Not desiring to learn from the God of Judah. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day when the nations of the earth will come in. Number three. At the end of verse three, the the third image in the latter days Just as the mountain of the Lord is exalted and the nations of the earth come in, then the law of the Lord goes out. Do you see the coming into and the going out of image? This flow of the nations coming in and the law and the word of the Lord will go forth. From Jerusalem, verse 4, And he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Those nations who come, those peoples who come now are under the rule and under the law of God who is deciding the disputes among them. What a marvelous image. Look in verse 3, we see that the law and the word of the Lord goes out. Uh, I think what's in view here is the, the full spectrum of the wisdom of God that leads to God's blessings and that avoids the curse of sin. Just the full spectrum of the way it's supposed to be living under the wisdom, word, and ways of God. And then notice in verse 4 that not only... Is it the law and the Lord at work? But look in verse 4, it's the Lord himself at work. The Lord himself judges and decides and rules over the nations, not just Judah. Here's the message that even though all humanity currently lives according to the law of the jungle, in which everyone looks after their own interests, and only the strong survive. There is coming a day when the law of the Lord will be the law of the land. What a vision. And then a fourth image. Verse 4. He will judge between the nations and he will decide disputes for many peoples and they. What do they do? Oh, they beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. In the latter days, this fourth image, the peace of the Lord will be restored. The mountain of the Lord is exalted. The nations of earth come in. The law of the Lord is established. And then what happens? The peace of the Lord. Shalom is restored. Eden all over again. 
back to the way it was supposed to be before we messed everything up with our sin and rebellion against our Creator and King. Peace is restored. God uses imagery here, swords and spears. These are the weapons of war, aren't they? Swords and spears are beaten into, they're changed, they're transformed into plowshares, which Google helped me to see is the the actual blade on the plow, the metal blade, and then pruning hooks. So tools of agriculture. We see images of Eden here, don't we? The weapons of war are transformed into tools of life. The message is this. Peace of the Lord will be restored on earth. That is an amazing and glorious image. And so what does God encourage His people to do after showing them this certain future? where the mountain of the Lord is exalted, the nations come in, the law of the Lord is established, and peace of the Lord is restored. Verse 5. O house of Jacob, my people, Judah, Jerusalem, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This exhortation connects back to verse 3. Did you notice the repetition in that language? In verse 3, it's the nations coming in who say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Now the response that Isaiah is calling for among the people is come let us walk in the light of the Lord. You, Jerusalem, walk today in light of this vision of what the Lord will do in you and through you. In the midst of your conflict and difficulty, when you think your whole life is falling apart, don't turn away from the Lord. Keep this vision of what God's going to do in mind and trust Him. Turn to the Lord. You are the covenant people of God. Live today in light of the exaltation of Jerusalem. The fact that you are going to be a blessing to the nations. That the Lord is going to reign And that peace is going to be restored. Wow. So when was this vision fulfilled? I want to suggest two answers to that question. When did the mountain of the Lord be exalted? Think about it. When did the nations come in? Or when will the nations come in? When did or will the law of the Lord go out? And when did or will 
the peace of the Lord be restored? Two answers. First of all, this vision is partially and progressively being fulfilled at Pentecost. When the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ advanced through the nations. What we see is that the mountain of the house of the Lord, Jesus, who said that he is the center point of worship for God, is no longer the temple, it's him. His body is the temple. That the Lord Jesus Christ was exalted. That the nations at Pentecost, and even in little shadows by Jesus going out to various Gentiles like the woman at the well, that that at Pentecost, the nations began to come in and the law of the Lord is established in the law of Christ and the peace of the Lord, peace with God is restored because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when it was initially partially and progressively fulfilled. And then I want to give a second answer to that question. When is this particular vision fulfilled? Well, it's fulfilled ultimately, isn't it? It's fulfilled ultimately at the second coming. Not when the gospel is advancing, but when the kingdom of Christ is established. When the kingdom of Christ is established at his second coming, then there, on that day, that latter day, the mountain of the Lord truly will be exalted. Everything else will be laid low and overshadowed. Everything. On that day, we see a picture in Revelation of the nations gathering around the throne to worship the Lamb. And the law of the Lord being written on every person's heart so that we will sin no more. Fully and completely and ultimately the peace of the Lord is restored on earth in the new earth and the new heavens on that day. So I might ask you, Everyone in the room, I I might just ask this question if you'll lend me your ear for just a moment. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the center of worship of God? Do you acknowledge God exalting him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Have you personally come to Jesus When I look around the room here, you know what we are? We are the nations. Have you come to Jesus, the exalted one? Have you submitted your heart to his law? Does he rule over you and exercise authority in your life? And has the peace of Christ been restored in your heart through the gospel? Well, if the answer to those questions is by God's grace alone, yes, then here's what we do with a text like Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 that was given to them 
fulfilled in him, and now read and applied by us. Here's what we do with it. We understand that Christians are just like Judah in this fact that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him, we are now the covenant people of God. And when God speaks to Judah, he's speaking to us as the new Judah, the new Israel in Christ. That is our deepest and truest identity now. So just as God was talking to Jerusalem and he was saying to them, all of these things are going to be done in you and through you in the future, and we see that fulfilled in Christ, now we understand that that stuff is done and applies to us, in us, through us, because of our association with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's the fact that we are united to him in covenant with him by faith. So the exhortation to us is still verse 5. Christians. Christians. Verse 5. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. What do you do with Isaiah 2 verse 1 through 4? You read it. You believe it. You see this vision. And then you walk in light of it. See, a vision of the future teaches us how to live today. And this vision encourages us in how to walk, like daily, everyday kind of walking in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our church. It teaches us how to live today. So let me just offer four applications that come directly from these four points that if you're using the note sheet, are above. What's the exhortation to us as Christians? Number one, Christians, Christians, since we know that the mountain of the Lord has been and will be exalted in Christ, then walk with confidence in Christ today. Walk with confidence in Christ today. You see, it's going to come to pass in the later days that Christ will overshadow every other religion. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ will be exalted and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Because we know that, then live with that confidence today. But that's harder than it seems, isn't it? Because everywhere we go, we're confronted by all kinds of worldviews and religious opinions and philosophies of life that are counter to Christ. And when people start to act as if Christianity is is, uh, an absurd notion that we believe in a man uh, and think that he is God, or that we believe that someone rose from the dead and there's there's no third-party verifiable proof to it outside of the book that we Christians, you know, probably came up with ourselves, 
then we can feel like the gospel and Christianity is overshadowed by all the religions of the world and the philosophies of life. Friends, someday there will be no comparison. Those of you who put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be on the winning side and every other religion and philosophy of life will be overshadowed so much that it will be crushed to the ground. Live today with that kind of confidence. And what does that look like? That looks like exalting Christ in your heart and in your home just as he is exalted as the mountain in the house of the Lord. Exalt Jesus Christ today in your heart, in your life, in your home, with your children, at your job. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't cower. Listen, friend, the gospel of Jesus, Christianity, it's all true. Live today in light of his future exaltation. Number two. Christians, since we know that the nations, that the nations are coming in and will come in, then walk on mission with Christ today. The Lord has graciously shown us a vision of the nations coming to the house and the mountain of the Lord saying, we want to learn from your God. But right now, your boss probably doesn't want to. In fact, your coworker might make fun of you to your face or before behind your back, or your kids might absolutely reject They're not coming to Christ like the nations in Judah of that day. They're opposing Christ or rejecting Christ. It's good for you, but it's not for me. When we see this vision and we feel the confidence of the, the overshadowing glory of God being exalted, then what we do is we allow that to send us out to those nations who will come in. Who are they? We don't know. We just get to be part of it. We get to take the word of God and the gospel of Jesus out and share it with them and do it in love and in grace. Listen, you you don't have to evangelize all over people who don't want to hear it. You can, with love and grace, live the gospel, speak the gospel, share the gospel when asked, and be a winsome witness for Jesus Christ. And just like a farmer who sows the seed, our responsibility is to sow the gospel in word and in deed. And then to let God, who alone can bear the fruit. So walk on mission with Christ today. I wonder if... if You haven't been walking on mission because you're afraid to share the gospel for fear of what they will think or for fear of breaking that relationship that you have established. I know what that feels like. I I 
I work hard at loving people and, and building relationships all around me. And sometimes I can feel that tension when questions are asked or issues are raised. And I can tell we're about to walk out and they're, gonna, they're going to uh, understand what I believe because of the Bible. And they're going to hate me like they hate the Word of God. And in, in that moment, I'm facing the fear of man. And and in that moment, friends, I encourage you to remember this vision of the future when the nations are going to come in. And do you know how they will come in? Because you share the gospel with them. God uses his people to to sow the seeds to the nations. We get to be it's not it's not our responsibility. We just get to be a part. It's our privilege. Number three. So the mountain and the nations Now, number three, the law, that image of the law. Listen, Christians, since we know that the law of the Lord has been and will be established in Jesus Christ, then walk in obedience to the law of Christ today. He just showed us a vision of the future where the law of the Lord is the law of the land. Does that make you happy? Does that thrill your heart to think of everything being back the way it was supposed to be because God's law and God's dominion reigns in his kingdom? Then the response is to let God's law rule and reign in your life today. We can't want that for the future and then refuse that today. That's hypocrisy. Because we've come to Jesus, we we come to Jesus the same way that the nations come to the mountain in the house of the Lord here. We're we're those nations. Look at verse 3. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Here's the desire that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. And do you know what Jesus said? Come to me. Come to me, all you who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When we come to Jesus, we don't just come and get our golden ticket to heaven. We come with a desire to follow Jesus. The mark of a new heart is a new life progressively being sanctified as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fruit of repentance and the fruit of faith that we would come under the dominion and authority of Jesus, right? So when we see that in the future, we live like that today. And we learn Jesus' ways and we learn Jesus' paths. And he is both the pattern and the power for the Christian life. You you can't live the Christian life without the pattern of Jesus, and you cannot live the Christian life without the power of Jesus. I can tell you that from a 
personal testimony because for many years I tried to do it. I tried to follow Jesus on the power of my self-determination and effort. I'm going to love people. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to be self-disciplined. It doesn't work. The only way that we can ever follow Jesus is like a locomotive. We're just the boxcar. No power here. We're just linked to Christ by faith. And you stay linked to Christ. You don't turn away from him in difficulty or in conflict. You stay linked to Jesus by faith. And his pattern, his power, provides the authority and the way for you to live his life. And let's face it, the way of Christ is the way of love, isn't it? In the path of Christ... When we follow him and on his paths, it's going to lead to sacrifice. But aren't you glad his way was love and his path was sacrifice for you? Then give yourself away for others and you'll never regret it. And finally, Christian, since we know that the peace of the Lord has been and will be restored in Christ, then walk in peace today. Walk in peace today. Now, everybody in the room who was listening just heard those words. Let me ask you a question. Does your life look like peace? Does your heart look like peace? Does your mind look like peace? For a lot of us, the answer is an honest no. It looks like anxiety, fear, stress. It looks like doubt and insecurity. It looks like anger instead of peace. Where, where does war come from? So we're talking about the peace of Christ and peace being established on the whole earth. Where does anything less than peace come from? War. James 4 answers the question, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. War comes from self-interest. It's the law of the jungle and the survival of the fittest. I want what I want, and I'm after my own interest. And so I'm at war with everyone around me. I'm at war with my kids. I'm at war in my marriage. I'm at war with my neighbors. I'm at war at work when I have self-interest ruling. But where does peace come from? Peace comes from denying self and taking up what? Not just Jesus as a moral example and a great teacher, but peace comes from taking up Jesus' cross, death to self. And when Christ is exalted and established in our heart, then that's exactly what happens. And the result 
is peace in your marriage, peace in your home, peace at work, peace everywhere you go, because that's what happened with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit of Christ is peace. Not just in the kingdom there and then, but in your heart today. We really can experience as we establish and exalt Christ through his word. But I'll tell you what, it's going to require you beating your weapons of war into tools of life. And that's probably going to have to start with your tongue, just like it does mine. We're going to have to take the sword of our tongue and the spearhead of our sarcasm, and we're going to have to beat them daily, daily into life-giving tools to minister love and grace and mercy and peace and kindness to other people. And we could go on from, from our tongue to our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. Let's not talk about attitudes I don't have that much of a heart to to stand that this morning. Boy, can I ever have some bad attitudes. Really bad attitudes. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that we all want that day, that latter day when there's peace on earth and the nations are beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation is not lifting up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We're looking forward to that day, but we need to do the work of that day in obedience to Jesus, who won that day by giving us a new heart that doesn't desire war and self anymore, but gives us a new heart that has love and joy and peace and the new determination to beat our weapons of war into tools of life. What a great vision. I don't know how you should respond to that other than these things. There's probably a million ways, but I hope you will. Keep this vision before your eyes and let it fuel today because that's what it's supposed to do. Oh, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of this vision from the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that you're not done with us. You're not frustrated with us. But you have made us, through Christ, your covenant people, and you're still at work. And you're accomplishing your plan in us and through us, both in an individual and in a corporate sense and in a cosmic sense. Thank you so much that you and your glory have like a magnet drawn us to Jesus Christ. Thank you that your grace has gone out and brought us in. Thank you that your law has been established in our hearts and that your peace has been restored internally. May we live in that light. It'll be good for us. It'll be good for our family. It'll be good for every relationship with that we have, but ultimately it shows the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption that can only be accomplished through him.
And we praise you in his name.